You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, a podcast hosted by me, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps online course creator, consultant, and a Docker captain. This podcast contains clips from my weekly YouTube live show, where I host a real-time Ask Me Anything style chat with guests and anyone who shows up on YouTube chat, many of whom are students of my Docker courses. You can find out more information, including show notes for this episode at brettfisher.com slash podcast. That's B-R-E-T-F-I-S-H-E-R dot com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I answer some audience questions about serverless and the future of containers when a lot of the news out there is talking about functions as a service as something that we should all be doing. As usual, my answer is it depends. But if you're a team that's already doing microservices and containers and you're looking to deploy smaller features faster and cheaper, then serverless might help you. For most of us, though, writing and shipping functions only rather than traditional applications is years away because we have bigger problems we have to solve first, like speeding up our deployment processes or improving our monitoring and recovery. Anyway, I hope you enjoy my thoughts on these three related questions from a recent Q&A show around adopting serverless. Now, for years, I've been creating DevOps content and putting out on the internet. Some of it's in courses, some of it's on YouTube and newsletters and all sorts of other stuff. And one of the common questions I get is, how do you know about everything I'm releasing and another question I often get is, how can I support you or buy you a coffee just to thank you for all the stuff you're doing? Well, finally, I have that answer, and it's a new way you can support this podcast, my YouTube live show, and all the other content and code I put out there on Container DevOps. I've launched my Patreon page, which we've been planning for a while now, and I'm excited it's finally here. If you've not heard of Patreon, it's a platform that lets you support your favorite creators, like me and get exclusive member benefits if you pledge some financial support. My Patreon page is now the one place I keep you updated on everything I'm creating, including new videos I release, upcoming guests on my YouTube live show, podcasts like this one, newsletters and articles I post somewhere on the internet, and of course, Udemy courses and other GitHub repos that I release. It's now the one way I'm ensuring you don't miss a thing that my team and I are creating. So how it works is you go to patreon.com slash brettfisher, that's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash brettfisher, where you can follow me for free, see some of the updates, and then you can also pledge a few bucks a month or more to gain access to exclusive member benefits as a patron. I've got some stretch goals in there you can see on Patreon for adding exclusive content in the future just for my patrons, including behind-the-scenes videos and additional Patreon-only podcast and other things. For those of you that have already pledged support on Patreon, I thank you so much. It means a lot to us knowing that you're supporting us in helping create more DevOps content, and we're looking forward to all the new stuff we're going to do on Patreon in the future. Now on with the show. What do I think about serverless? I think it's a great pattern if you're a greenfield. If, you can, if you're developing new apps, you should seriously consider, and this is true, this has been true for all of technology's existence. We keep l- creating higher levels of abstraction, faster ways to program, faster ways to deploy code. And each time we do that, there are time savings and serverless is the latest iteration of that, right? And I would say that if you're using serverless and Golang as your programming language, that's probably about the highest level of automation and abstraction that I've seen to date. Now that doesn't mean we're done. We're going to keep creating new ways to make things go faster, but 
So if you're someone who's an infrastructure person, to you, serverless means I'm building a Kubernetes or Swarm cluster that's going to run a bunch of containers that will then run people's functions. And that is a self-hosted serverless. But most people are doing serverless in the cloud. And that just means you're consuming a service, a capital S service from a vendor. And you're just using their coding paradigms for how to do that. And the reality is all of those fun functions or most of those functions, depending on which platform you're on, are all running in containers. So there's someone that has to run the containers and the orchestrator that will run that code. But yeah, if you can build an app that will work in the scope of functions, which you know, serverless means it has to support the language that you're writing in, which is not every language. And you probably should have a modern deployment model because that's going to be, that's going to make serverless easier to use because you're going to be able to quickly deploy things. That's one of the advantages, right? You don't have to do a bunch of uh, infrastructure changes just to deploy a thousand functions or something. You know, you don't have to build a thousand servers. So I think that that's, uh, we talked about this, by the way, a couple weeks ago on this channel with Kelsey Hightower, we talked about serverless and that it's, we're never all going to be all serverless. Just like today, we still have programs running COBOL and mainframe and 20-year-old PHP apps. Those all still exist. So we can't just all suddenly switch to serverless. The thing about containers was, is it allowed us to modernize the infrastructure layer of old apps, which is really great. You can take old apps, and as long as they'll run on Linux or Windows, they can be put in a container. And you can deploy them easier, you can update them easier, you can monitor them easier. And that's great. I, that's one of the things I really liked early on about containers was that I didn't have to write a new app the way that this particular abstraction layer required me to run it. But serverless does that. It requires that you have to rewrite your apps or just write new apps. So the teams that I work with that are using, that are experimenting with serverless, what they're doing serverless for is to complement their existing apps because most companies have a lot of existing code and they're not going to rewrite that in serverless just overnight. So they have a bunch of st stuff and they're going to write serverless functions that interact with those existing apps instead of writing more apps that are full-fledged binaries, right? And I think that that is a really great way to use fu uh, functions because you don't have to worry about all the infrastructure that you traditionally had to worry about. And you don't even technically have to have a Kubernetes cluster to use serverless to run on your legacy code. So if you have legacy VMs running traditional applications, but you can call against them from a remote you know, endpoint, and then you can use serverless to do that. So uh, what's the future look like for DevOps in 2020? Will serverless be next, the next big trend? So I think serverless is already a big trend in existing markets that can operate with serverless. I think what's going to have to happen for serverless to be more popular is for serverless to be baked in as an option for existing platforms. So we have Knative, which is a add-on to Kubernetes amongst many other ones like OpenFAS and a lot of options for Kubernetes. But I think what's going to have to happen is that right now, unless you're in the cloud and unless your team allows you to develop uh, serverless, you're still writing the same apps that you've already always written, right? You're still writing Node apps against Node.js that are full-fledged apps and not just functions. 
And I think that we, we talked about serverless for years now. And uh, the people that I see that are not doing it, just either they don't have a good reason, they haven't come up with a good reason yet. And that's not the fault of serverless. That's just the fault of the team not wanting to rethink how they develop. You know, a lot of people are still trying to figure out how to even do microservices. Most of the people I work with aren't even doing microservices. So I feel like the journey of going from monolith apps to distributed microservice apps to functions, you can skip over microservices if you want, but it's a, the mindset of someone and how they develop, how they deal with organizing their repositories, how they deal with doing this in a multi-user, in, in a multi-developer team, right? Those are all different things that have to happen. And everyone needs to understand the parts of their role in helping support that infrastructure. So I think it's, I don't think we're going to suddenly have this huge wave of serverless in 2020. I think it's just going to be a slow trend of being another option in our toolkit. We've got lots of options for how to deploy containers, uh, deploying non-container apps in a very flexible way, like Heroku does this. You can deploy apps on Heroku very easily, but it doesn't use containers if you don't want it to. So there's, I think lots of options out there. I honestly don't expect anything exciting in 2020. <laughs> I think that Kubernetes releases will be more boring. I think for me, seeing what comes out of the Docker team now that they are back focused on Docker tooling, or I'm sorry, on developer tooling and not server orchestration, um, I think that's going to be the thing that I'm most anticipating is to see what cool stuff comes out of that team. Because it's still a team of 75 developers all focused on making life easier for development. And when you put those people together for six months, like cool stuff comes out of it, right? So it, I'm thinking in 2020, we'll, it'll be exciting to get back to you know the, the Docker CLI and seeing what they changed with that. Docker Hub, expanding on Docker Hub functionality. I know that's one of their big goals is to uh, ramp back up on Docker Desktop, Docker the command line and Docker Hub and try to figure out how to solve more of these problems uh, specifically getting the tooling for running and managing Docker stuff locally. So maybe there's some new GUIs coming. Maybe there's some new functionality in Docker desktop that allows you to manage um, the containers locally easier and how to get those all together up into Docker Hub and then eventually on your servers. I don't really know yet. And I don't think they do. They're still kind of figuring out their roadmap. And I'm excited to see what they're going to do in 2020. And you will hear it when it hear it first here when it comes out because um luckily they still talk to me so i still get the ducker captain swag like this coup jacket so hopefully I'll, I'll find out next year what they're doing in the last video with kelsey you guys talked about next abstractions will these abstractions sit over kubernetes um they may so that okay so that question implies that there is something that will replace Kubernetes on your infrastructure. And what Kelsey really likes to talk about is that the, the goal here is that you don't know about your infrastructure, that you don't have to manage your infrastructure. Kubernetes is for people that want to shell into a server and manage their infrastructure. When you start looking at, looking at things like Cloud Run or other serverless abstractions, those are all probably running on some sort of clustering technology. Maybe Kubernetes, maybe not. But the point is you don't care anymore. So I would say in one way, maybe they'll run on Kubernetes, but also these abstractions, 
since since Kubernetes is at least for the next five to ten years, that's going to be the way that we're all focused on building out the most advanced clustering solution for servers. And when I say servers, I mean things that you have to shell into, that you have to care about the kernel version and you have to patch the OS, right? If you're at that level and that's your job, then Kubernetes is the way that we're all going to be focusing on. I, I mean, Swarm will still be around, but again, I, th I feel like Swarm and Kubernetes aren't even in the same league anymore. They're not, you know, Swarm solves easy problems for simple solutions and small teams. But once you, you know, once you need RBAC, once you need role-based authentication, once you need all these other advanced things, you're probably going to have to go to Kubernetes. Um, and Swarm is like Kubernetes. Swarm and Kubernetes are designed for people that have to care about a server. But these next level abstractions are really going to be at that level where you don't care about servers anymore. You're just running containers. You're just running functions. Um, and the closest I think we see to that is stuff like we're seeing with Lambda and with Google Cloud Run, where you're, you don't care how many cores you have, or you, know, you don't have to spin up five servers and then worry that they're underutilized, right? Um, yeah. I mean, who, Heroku got this right a while ago. Uh, they're still, they cut this model, but this model, they still think of things as in terms of servers. And the functionless, the functions world where we get with serverless, that is largely about not having to care about infrastructure. So whatever these abstractions are, they're not going to have you shelling into a server. If you still want to do that, you're probably going to stick with Kubernetes for quite some time, right? Or just one server that's running Docker. Like you don't have to have an orchestrator. You just run Docker or Docker Swarm one node or something like that. But, um, but yeah, so a lot of these things are still built around the idea of a, of a server cluster. And I think that's what we got to get past. And in fact, if you listen to the uh, Arrested DevOps podcast with Kelsey on it, and Kelsey and Bridget talk about this exact thing. They talk about that the next level um, really needs to get us beyond thinking about compute. Because we don't think about the energy on servers. I used to have to be in data centers and we used to have to plan out the energy budget for each rack to make sure that the amperage for each server wasn't overutilized. And we had this, so we had a row limit, we had a rack limit, we had uh, two sides of the rack power strips. They had their limits, each server had a limit. And we had to, I'm going to say the word orchestrate, but we didn't call it that. We had to organize all this stuff for power in the rack. But at some point, like with the cloud, that became moot. None of us care. We, we, we pay a bill. We don't know how much power we use. That's got to be where we go with compute is we've got to get to the point where we don't know how much compute we used. We just know we got a bill and it ran code and we paid the bill, hopefully. So thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.